Welcome to Calvary Temple Church Podcast. Thank you for listening today. If you haven't subscribed to this podcast yet, please consider doing so. You'll find reference scripture and discussion questions for this sermon in the episode description. We hope this encourages you in your spiritual growth. Today we're going to be talking about following God's direction, living a life of yes. Now, there's a lot of, they might be like, how are we following God's direction? There's a lot of different things in the Christmas story about following God's direction from the star with the wise men to the angels speaking to the shepherds. Like, there's so many different pieces that we find following God's direction. And uh, sometimes we have a hard time following directions, and we're not always as good at it as we would like to. How many of you guys have ever had, uh, have you ever tried to tell like a three-year-old or someone to do something, and they struggle to follow the directions? Yeah, it's so like sometimes it's like they don't quite get it. Or um, a few weeks ago on Wednesday night in church, we were making... Uh, for Thanksgiving, these little pumpkins that were made out of paper. Basically, you took strips of paper and you stapled them together on each end just in the right order. I thought it was pretty simple, right? Well, it ended up being that I had to help everyone but like the fourth and fifth graders. They couldn't figure out how to make it fit together. And Sometimes the directions aren't as clear as we think. Following directions. Sometimes we have directions and it can be a challenge to follow all of the directions. Now, uh, how many of you guys grew up with a family member that taught you a lot about cooking? Yeah, some of us did. And if we do a lot of cooking, we find that some recipes are very exact. Like you put maybe a fourth a teaspoon of salt in. And how many of you know if you don't put the right amount of salt in, especially cookies or something like that, does it taste good? No, it doesn't taste good. Some recipes are very exact. You have to have the exact right thing with following the directions. But some family recipes, how many of you guys, when you grew up cooking, your family recipe was something more like this? It was something more like um, put in about three handfuls of uh, flour into this, or maybe just a little bit, put in just a little bit of that and a, and a, and a good bit of this and a, a, a tiny bit of that. Like it doesn't have very specific, and you're like, if you didn't grow up watching the person make the thing over and over again, would you be able to make it? No, the directions were confusing. It was hard to understand. And uh, it was more, I guess you might say, impressionistic directions. And, uh, but it takes time spending with the cook, right? As you spend time with them and you watch them, you're able to follow the directions much easier. And sometimes following God's directions can feel like that. Sometimes we we're, we're have an exact measurement. You know, I, I those think it's funny. There's the recipes. They're like completely level, this amount, completely level. And uh, some things are much more, just a little bit of this. And certain things you can get away with a little less exactness, can't you? Like chocolate chip cookies, how many of you guys know you put, you don't measure, you don't put the directions amount of chocolate chips, you put however many you like. Maybe you like less, maybe you like more, but you don't really, it doesn't really matter exactly how many chocolate chips you put in your chocolate chip cookies. But it does matter how much baking soda and how much flour and egg percentages that you put in with each other if you want it to turn out correctly. And so sometimes we have trouble following God's directions. And uh, as some of the recipes, sometimes they're more exact, 
Sometimes his directions are, and sometimes they're a little bit more. We have to spend time with our Savior to hear his directions in order to make the things properly that he's asking us to do. We might feel this way about God's directions, but we're all called to follow his directions, aren't we? We're all called to be a part. You know, following God is not like a pro sports team, is it? We don't have all 12 maybe on a team, or maybe it's six on a team, different people playing the game and everyone watching, right? That's not what God's kingdom is supposed to be, where everyone's in the grandstands. We're not supposed to be a grandstand church, but we're all called to be a part. And it kind of reminds me, like, you know, if you ever grew up on a farm or a ranch, you're not on the place very long before you end up having a job to do, are you? You end up, whether it was feeding the chickens or going and milking the cow or uh, maybe it's just make, helping make food or chopping wood or fixing fence, everybody has a job to do everyone's a part. You know, even on the big ranches that you find where they have 3,000 head of cows, everybody helps when there's a time to help, right? Everyone is a part, a piece to the puzzle. And that's the way it is we're called to be with God's kingdom. Everyone has a part. We're not a pro sports team uh, kind of church. We're called to be and everyone a part. And as Christians, sometimes we might uh, not always know how to follow directions. But what do we do when we have a question about what am I going to do? We do what the Bible says. So to answer how to follow God's directions, we are going to do what the Bible says. What are we going to do? We're going to... Do what the Bible says. That's right. And it's the main thing. And if we do that, we'll find that we're pretty good at following its directions. But how do people in the Christmas story respond to God's directions? Well, Lynn is going to come and she's going to read uh, one of our stories. We're having three stories today. And she's going to read one of the stories of the Christmas story. All right. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, 
the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. I love this part of the story. Here we have Mary. She responds to God when he calls her. And her response is immediate. Her immediate response was to surrender her life to God's plan to a life-altering decision. You know, you think about it. Her life would forever be changed by that moment. It wasn't just like God prompting you to maybe pray for somebody in the grocery store or to talk to a neighbor or a family member about something or maybe to give something in the offering. No, this was a completely life-altering decision. And her immediate response was to say yes. She immediately said yes. And saying yes, she gives God all of her future. And after the angel leaves, she goes with haste to Elizabeth's house to see the confirmation, have the encouragement of what God had said. I like that, that she goes, she, it says she immediately goes with haste to her uh, relative's house to have confirmed what God said. It kind of makes me think of, you know, on the old John Wayne movies when uh, there's a message that someone's in trouble or something and he runs out and he jumps and he, get, he gets the horse going and he's really just has one foot in the stirrup and he's holding onto the saddle horn. And then like he, after the horse gets loping, he bounces up into the saddle and like he just leaves with haste. I kind of imagined Mary something like that. Obviously she didn't have a horse and wasn't John Wayne, but she went with haste. She didn't hesitate. She went quickly and uh, got the confirmation. And Elizabeth, through the power of the Holy Spirit, also immediately recognizes the Messiah and confirms the word from the angel Gabriel, right? immediately she recognizes. And what a confirmation. Before Elizabeth, she says hello. Before she's even said in anything that God spoke to me or anything at all, Elizabeth prophesies. She recognizes the Messiah. She's anointed by the Spirit and speaks out. It's a confirmation of what God had said. And then we find later on, who's the first person to publicly recognize Jesus' ministry? It's John the Baptist, right? Elizabeth's son, who in that moment also recognized Jesus. When I saw you at the door, the baby in my womb leaped, it says. He was filled with the Spirit. And that there's this carried on through the generations, but this recognizing what God is doing. It's an amazing thing. Now, our next person we're going to look at is Joseph. And we have here, remember, Mary's engaged to Joseph. This is a pretty... uh, big deal, this information, isn't it? This doesn't just affect Mary's life, but it affects Joseph. Now, the Bible says that Joseph was a righteous man. He was a good and holy man. And that meant that he was somebody who, you know, you could look to him and knew that he was somebody who was following God correctly. He wasn't going to just be doing something uh, that was out there And Mary's decision to follow God's call didn't just alter her life. It altered Joseph's, didn't it? This was going to affect him. 
And we know that it was a very difficult decision for him. And we're going to hear about how his, uh, this affected him in a major way as well. And so Mary's going to read Joseph's story. Reading from Matthew, the first chapter, verses 18 through 25. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and she called his name Jesus. Thank you, Mary. So Joseph, in his story, how did he respond to when God spoke to him? He didn't hesitate to follow God's directions, even though they came in a way that many people would hesitate. I mean, honestly, you get it. Like, here you find out about something that's life-altering as well. And Joseph had decided to put uh, to divorce Mary. Remember, they were engaged, but in uh, biblical times, it would take a divorce to break the engagement. And he had decided to divorce Mary quietly, so that way Mary wouldn't have to suffer as much by his decision, but that he thought what anyone would think. You know, Mary comes and tells him this wild story. And so as he's thinking about this, he's resolved what to do, he goes to sleep, and in his sleep he has a dream. It would be very easy to just have discounted what the angel said in the dream, wouldn't have it, just to be like, oh, that was a crazy dream. But no, he says yes to what God had said, and he doesn't hesitate. It says when he woke up, he went and he took Mary as his wife. Even though they came, this dream came in a way that many people would question it. It'd be very easy to question it. He still responded quickly to what God had said. He didn't hesitate, but he responded quickly. And he didn't question what God had said, but he continued to be obedient. You know, if you want to take time this week and keep looking at Joseph's story, he keeps getting dreams and he responds quickly. What would have happened if he hadn't responded quickly? to the dream that they should flee Bethlehem when Herod was going to come and kill the baby, all the baby boys under two. You know, what would have happened if he hadn't responded quickly? What happens when we don't respond quickly to what God says? God asks us not just to respond, but to respond quickly. And it's kind of like, I see, it's kind of funny, I see a lot of parents, they give their kids time, they give them to count of like three or five to do the thing that they said before they do it. 
And uh, sometimes, you know, that can be a good thing. And then, but there's other times where it may be like they need to do something right then. Otherwise, you know, maybe like it's get out of the street. You know, you don't want them to respond on the count of three to get out of the street. There's a car coming. And in the same way, God wants us to respond quickly and not just on the count of three, but to respond quickly to what God's saying. Now, we're going to have another story. Bill, you can come on up. That's about Simeon. He's another person who responded to what God said. And this is found in Luke 2, 25. Um, And he's another person that has a great example of how to respond when God talks to us. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. There's a little quote here, too, in the end that says, Jesus is a Savior for the world, not just the Jews. So what happened there was obviously very important for we Gentiles also. Bill. Simeon. Yeah, I, I love Simeon's story. Actually, I have a nephew named Simeon, but it's kind of funny. A lot of people, uh, when they first hear the name, who haven't been used to hearing it, and when he was little, he couldn't pronounce his name correctly, and he pronounced it Cinnamon instead of Simeon. And so we had a lot of fun with that. But Simeon, Simeon was somebody that he is very instrumental in what God has. And it's very interesting. It says that he was a righteous and devout man waiting for the consolation of Israel, waiting for the Messiah to come, waiting for all that the Old Testament had promised. He's waiting for it. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. Three times it says that Simeon had a communion with the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit was upon him. It was revealed to him by the Spirit. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. Uh, the NIV says he was moved by the Spirit. Uh, and several of the other translations say, when you look at the direct Greek, it's he was, came in the Spirit. Both of those, I think, are good pictures of him coming through the Spirit. It's like um, the Spirit directed him and said, now it's time to go to the temple. And he was somebody who was listening, he was watching, he was waiting, and he was moved in the Spirit. Uh, you know when you have... I kind of, again, imagine it like this. When you uh, go take a vehicle and you drive somewhere, you're in the vehicle. And, like, yes, you're going, but it's, it's through the power of the vehicle that you're getting there, especially when we need that to get to Rapid City. I wouldn't want to walk there typically, uh, especially in a snowstorm. But uh, you have to take the vehicle to get there. And the vehicle gives you the power to get there and the ability. And maybe you need, like I do, if I'm in Rapid, I don't know where anything is. And I still use a GPS to get 
basically anywhere. And the only thing I know how to do is get to one specific church, and that's it. And so I always have to use the GPS, even like if I'm going from Sam's Club or something to Hobby Lobby. And so, but I need that to show me how to get there. I need the vehicle to be able to have the transportation to get there. And that's how I imagine Simeon in the Spirit, moved by the Spirit. He has the direction and the transportation, like to get there, to go and do what God asked. What if he had waited? Imagine if Simeon had waited an hour. God said, go to the temple. He would have missed seeing what God had said. Even though God had said, you will not die before you have seen the the Messiah come. What an amazing promise. You are not going to die before you see the Messiah come. That's really incredible. But if he had waited, would he have seen what God had asked or had told him that he would? But instead, he listened. He gave an immediate response, and he listened, and he went. And not only when he got there, God gave him the eyes to see what was happening, the eyes to see who was there. You know, uh, parents sometimes have eyes to see what's really going on with their children, don't they? And a casual observer might be like, oh, maybe they think that there's this happening or that. But the parents can see, no, this is what's, they have the eyes to see what's happening. And uh, that's what Simeon, God gave him the eyes to see what was happening. He would not have experienced all he did if he had not been looking for what, what God would do. And he lived a life responsive to God. He kept in step with the Spirit. Remember, if we, uh, if we walk in the Spirit, we'll keep in step in the Spirit. Simeon lived a life of in step with God's Spirit. He was listening. He was waiting. I think Simeon How God spoke to him is probably the best example in all of these three stories of how God speaks to us. It's not, like maybe sometimes we see an angel, maybe sometimes we have a dream, but typically it's more this, as we live a life in the Spirit, then we hear his voice and we can follow his directions. But if we want to be a part of what God is doing, we need to be spending time listening, receiving, and acting on what God says. We can't leave out any of those three, right? We have to listen. We need to say, God, give me the ears to hear what you're saying. We need to receive what he is calling us to. Receive the power of the Holy Spirit or the baptism in the Spirit. Receive uh, what he says and saying yes. When we receive it, we're saying yes to what he says. And we act on what he says for us to do. This is how we follow God's instructions. So, God speaks to us, right? And when he speaks to us, we do what he says. But sometimes, how do we follow God's instructions? Now, there's one thing that's really important with following God's instructions. And I think it kind of reminds me of, I don't know if you've ever read or watched Pride and Prejudice, but there's a lady in it, Lady Catherine de Bourgh, and she's not exactly the nicest person in the world. And when the main character is playing the piano, afterwards she says to her, You will never play really well unless you practice more. That's not a very polite thing to say to somebody. I wouldn't have liked that. But there is a good point to it. If we want to follow Jesus' instructions really well, when the performance time comes, when the big things come, the life-altering moments come, we need to get into a habit of practicing following what he says in the little things, practicing saying yes on a regular basis, being obedient, practice responsiveness and obedience. You notice that a child, when they have a habit of disobedience, 
We have to celebrate the times that they are obedient. We work at helping them practice developing that obedience. And then it gets to a point where even when they don't feel like it, they don't want to, it's frustrating them. They can still be obedient because they've practiced being obedient in the little things. You know, we, I, we practice being obedient at home so that way when we're at the grocery store, we don't have a temper tantrum, do, right? We practice it. And so it's important to be practicing. And it's in the Spirit. It's in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we obey through the Holy Spirit. He gives us both the ears to hear and the ability to follow God's directions. If we try to do it in our own strength, we're going to have a really difficult time to do it. But we do it through hearing and the ability that he gives us. It's like Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. And, you will, uh, and uh, then at other places, Paul writes about, we have the, the speaking by the power of the Holy Spirit. The unction of the Spirit comes upon us. And we have the Holy Spirit. He works through us. He tells us how, what to do and how to do it. So we're going to have a couple of practical steps to help us to be able to follow God's instructions. And I think one of the first things, the, mo- the most important things, is resolve ahead of time to say yes. We need to resolve ahead of time that we are going to say yes to what God says. Uh, Joseph was a righteous man. He was somebody who had already been dedicated and committed to saying yes. If he hadn't been in the habit of saying yes, at this most difficult decision of a lifetime, he wouldn't have been able to do it. He wouldn't wouldn't have had the character built up to be able to do it. Mary was somebody that the angel says that she was... uh, um, Greetings that she was highly favored. She was somebody that has in the habit of saying yes. Simeon was somebody who was in the spirit. He was listening to the spirit. He was righteous and devout, waiting for what God had said. We build a habit of saying yes, building an internal response of yes. Um, I don't know if you've ever played basketball, but when you play basketball, sometimes like there's a, in practice, they'll have you where you catch the ball and then you shoot, right? In the practice, you catch and shoot, and there's somebody who's tossing it to you and you shoot. You get used to at any spot, you catch it and you shoot, right? And so you get used to this automatic response. You develop an internal automatic response of doing things at that moment, And that's what we need to do with the Holy Spirit, that we get an automatic and internal response of saying yes, so that we're conditioned to yes, so that it's just what wells up inside of us. And we do that. How do we do that? By practicing, right? By practicing in the little things, by practicing saying yes. Maybe it's the simpleness of feeling the Spirit's urging to say, you know, pray for this person right now. Like, and just in that moment, maybe you're in your car at home and just like, Lord, I lift this person up to you. Or to read this passage of scripture. And, um, or maybe it's uh, you're reading the fruit of the Spirit and he, and he convicts you and says to be kinder to someone in a situation or something like that. And then we respond with yes. And the little things respond with yes. Lillian Trasher, uh, I don't know, many of you might have heard of her. She was a missionary in the early 1900s um, and middle 1900s. And she, before she was a missionary, though, she was an evangelist. And she traveled, and she, uh, as she traveled, she would preach across the country, and she shared Christ uh, with many people. And after a while of doing this, she was in her early, mid-20s and had been following God's instructions of yes. And she had uh, become engaged to a minister, 
After they were engaged, though, God called her to go to Egypt. He told her to go as a missionary to Egypt. But her fiancé didn't want to. He said, nope, God's called me to this place. I'm not going to go. Now, I don't know, maybe God uh, had that for him, but maybe it was an opportunity for him to go with her. I don't really know. It's not for me to say. But it was a moment she could have said, no, I'm not going to follow what God said. I'm going to stay comfortable. I'm going to do what I want. You know, so one of her lifelong dreams, she writes in her book, Letters uh, with Lillian, uh, how her lifelong dream had been to be married, and how one of them had to be married to have children, to have a house full of children. But she chose, instead of choosing what was comfortable, what just what she wanted, she chose to go to Egypt alone. And she went alone. And after she got there, uh, there's a process of there's a child that's all the relatives have died. And she ends up taking in the child. And after a while, there's more children. And she ends up starting an orphanage. And she ends up raising thousands and thousands and thousands of children. God used her to raise these children who didn't have anybody. And many of them were from Muslim families. If they had been raised by their families, they wouldn't have grown up to know the love of Jesus. Those children, many of them became pastors. Many of them became leaders in the church. They grew up knowing Christ. And there was many times that there was revival that swept through the orphanage. And uh, the children, there would be praying in the middle of the night, crying out to God. At the end of her life, there was more than 2,000 children living there. I don't remember the exact total, but there was uh, uh, tens of thousands of children she had raised over the years. But she said yes. She'd resolved ahead of time living a life of yes. And she said yes in a moment when she could have said no. And think of how much God used her to change people's lives. We need to resolve to say yes. Another thing that we need to do, and we see this in all of these stories very clearly, is respond quickly Mary went with haste to her relative's house. Joseph, when he got up, he went and made Mary his wife. He didn't wait a day or a week. He went at that moment. We have Simeon went in the moment. Just a few minutes he could have missed it, but he went in the moment. And we respond quickly. The longer we wait, it is harder to follow God's directions. If we wait too long, we can even miss it. But even the longer we wait, it becomes more difficult. Our decisions, the things that we do in life, it makes it harder and harder to respond. Because we're conditioning a response of no instead of yes or maybe. But we need to respond quickly. Fanny Crosby is a lady who lived in the late 1800s. And she was blinded as a child. But God had a plan for her life. And he used her. And she wrote more than 8,000 hymns, how God used her. She did rescue missions work, and she wrote poetry. She's known as the queen of gospel songwriters. Some of her songs include ones that many of us would know, like Blessed Assurance, uh, Safe in the Arms of Jesus, Close to Thee, Jesus is Calling Me Tenderly, and many, many others. She wrote so many hymns that actually uh, the publishers of the hymnals didn't think that people would like it if so many of the hymns were written by one person. So she had to write over, under over 200 pseudonames to be able to get her hymns published. And this is at a time when many women did not receive publication of their, of their work. But God used her. 
She responded quickly, though, to have written over 8,000 hymns. That she, if you do the math, that ends up being, if she responded yes every day, when the Spirit came on her, gave her the words to write a hymn, if she had responded every single time that day to what the Spirit said and did it in that moment, and remember, she was blind too, so she had these challenges, it would have been over 20 years to have written that many hymns. She responded quickly to what the Spirit said. And as a result, God was able to do much more in her than if she had been somebody who hesitated. God can do much more through us when we're someone who responds quickly. And we don't wait. We don't hesitate to do what he says. And the Christmas story is full of people. And, you know, whether it's the shepherds, the wise men, these people, each individual is full of people who responded quickly. We have in, the, in Acts, the early church, this full of people that responded quickly. You know, Philip, when there's the Ethiopian eunuch who's riding along in the chariot, and it says, the Spirit says, go and walk alongside that chariot. And he runs over, and he is by the chariot. It was a moment, a moment in time, that he responded quickly. And what could happen in our lives if we respond quickly? And we don't hesitate, but we respond in the moment how many moments might we miss if we hesitate? Think of Joseph. What would have happened if he had hesitated? Especially, like I said before, on the night when uh, Herod then had the children killed in Bethlehem. What would have res- happened if he hadn't responded quickly? There are consequences when we don't respond quickly. And God is saying, not only just should we say yes, but we need to say yes quickly. And finally, another thing that really helps us to follow God's directions, is find others who will encourage you as you follow him. Elizabeth Elizabeth was an encouragement to Mary. She found somebody who would encourage her. What if she had opened up to the wrong person? Oh, God could never do that. Or you're just covering up for your mistakes. No, she found somebody who would encourage her. There was a Methodist missionary, Bobby Gupta, I think is his name. I have the last name probably butchered. But he went uh, to, as a missionary to India, and God told him we need to, that you need to plant a 1,000 churches in India. This was at a time when Methodist missionaries had been in India for over 100 years, and less than 100 churches had been started. Less than 100 churches. God was saying more than 10 times the amount. Others, when he tried to share this with them, criticized him and called him crazy. But God was still doing something. He was still working. He was prompting. And God kept urging him. But he said, there's more. What about the 600,000 villages that did not have any gospel witness? Think of those. Even 1,000 wasn't enough. The 100 definitely wasn't enough. The 1,000 wasn't enough. There needed to be more. Soon he was praying and sharing, maybe we need 100,000 churches. But still, what about the other 500,000? Every person matters to God. Everyone should have the opportunity to hear about Jesus. It still wasn't enough. He was sharing in a service one day, and many people thought, man, that's such an awesome and great big vision. Like, we want to, yes, we want to help and be a part of it, but that's so big. But Jim Montgomery, a man who was in the Methodist church who had started many ministries, he encouraged him he needed to have a better goal in mind, not just 100,000 churches but that every person would be able to hear about Jesus. Every village needed a church that would share Christ. Every place needed a gospel witness. 
What about a church per every 1,000 people, every 1,000 people? That was a much bigger goal, and it was a necessary one. Jim encouraged him for what he needed to do and how to share the vision and what God's vision was, not his. Remember, it took it back to the Great Commission. Go into all the world and make disciples of all people, as many as the Lord our God shall call. It's not just for the small things, but it's the big things. He took him back to it. This man, God used him to encourage Bobby to have God's vision Encouraged him to keep stepping forward. And when many people still thought he was crazy, to follow God's directions. As a result, they saw many, many more churches than even the 1,000 started. And God did much more through him than they would have thought possible. You see, he followed God's directions. When I was at Trinity, uh, there was a person who worked there that didn't necessarily understand that principle very well of uh, and that not to criticize him but he one time said some things to me that was very discouraging I've been sharing some things God was putting on my heart some things that maybe God could say for the school different things that God's directions but he said that it wasn't that important and that it was too much and uh, several things like you need to grow more before you can do this that's not very encouraging to hear. I didn't share with the right person, somebody who could encourage me. But then later, I talked to another person who was at the school. And he said, we get some very wise words. He said, you need to find who gives encouragement, who to share the vision with. But then he said, God is using you in this. And he encouraged me and he built me up and he said, what all I helped me to have a better vision of what God was saying and doing. I found somebody who could encourage me rightly for what God was saying. Find the right person who can encourage you, just like Mary found Elizabeth. Find the right person who encourages you to follow what God is saying. And they will help you to stay strong. You know, there's nothing like having, we're much more likely, aren't we, when we tell somebody we're going to do something. And we know the person's going to ask us later, like, oh, man, I told that person that I was going to uh, do this project, maybe this house project, and I, I w- haven't done it yet. I, should, I know I'm going to see them in the next couple days. I should try to get that thing done. We're much more likely, too, to do that when we know people, are, other people know. But also, it solidifies the thing God is working in our lives. It ju- not just solidifies it, but it helps us to see the encouragement of what God is doing. And they like, maybe, like Elizabeth, had a prophetic word by the Spirit. Even before Elizabeth or Mary had told Elizabeth, he had a prophetic word by the Spirit to speak. And that God might want to use somebody to speak into your life and be encouragement and help to solidify what he has been saying. All believers are called to partner with God. We all are. We're not called to be a pro sports teams where just a few people do the things, but we're all called to be a part. God has directions for every one of us. Maybe it's in uh, little things, maybe it's in big things. Maybe at no matter our age, no matter who we are, we're called to be a part. Another person who was at the Christmas story, after Simeon blessed Jesus and had this prophetic word, Anna was somebody who was at the temple, and you can read her story in Luke 2. But she was somebody who had been also listening. 
But if you read the story, it says that after her husband died, for 84 years she went to the temple and she prayed and God used her. She would have been over 100 years old when this happened. But God used her. In that moment, she followed God's directions. And what about John the Baptist? When Mary comes through the door, not only does Elizabeth have this moment of recognizing the Messiah, but John, before he's even born, when he's only three months old in the womb, he recognizes the Messiah. And he's a part of God's plan. How, and no matter how old, no matter how young, no matter who we are, we all can be a part of God's plan, and we can all follow God's directions. There's no reason why we can't. We were made to partner with God. Adam and Eve, about them in the beginning, God made them to partner with him in, uh, in governing over the animals and tending the garden. God is looking for people who want to partner with him. How his mission is carried out in the world is through people partnering with him. And his church is designed for all believers to take part in his mission. Every Christian is called to be a part. Every Christian is called to follow the Great Commission. Every Christian is called to be filled with the Spirit. If we're not baptized with the Spirit, we should ask him, even now, uh, to baptize us with the Spirit. And to be used by him on a regular and daily basis. When we resolve to say yes, we ask God to partner, to let us partner with him. Asking. That's another good thing we should do is ask. And we act out our partnership through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. He gives us the directions and the ability to follow his directions.